we can't guarantee them that they're going to have a positive experience. They, they've got to bring something to the equation too. But I think it's our job to create an environment uh, to do all we can to improve our facilities, to give them opportunity to have a tremendous experience, understand what it means to be a teammate. Whether you, you just went yard or you, you struck out yesterday three times, your teammates need you to move on to the next pitch and focus on what's important now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. No matter what sport you coach, this episode, like hopefully all before it, offers you a chance to peek into a different realm, so to speak, and pull something out that maybe you'd never thought of before. I kind of compare it to teaching. I'm an English teacher, and I think I'm okay at it, but I have no idea what amazing things our science teachers might be doing, or our math teachers, or our woodshop teacher, because I'm stuck up in room 254 all day long helping kids become better readers, writers, and thinkers, so I don't see what's happening in that science classroom or that math classroom or in the wood shop. So my goal with this show is to give you the opportunity to step out of your sport for just an hour or so and see what you might be able to steal. And don't worry, baseball coaches, you'll still learn a thing or two from today's guest, who's one of the most decorated high school baseball coaches in the country. Thanks for tuning in. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. If you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first call. They'll be your only call, probably. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf and turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. Not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, obviously, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Brett Hoyer, who's entering his 34th year as a high school baseball head coach and his 31st year at the helm of John F. Kennedy Senior High School in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Over the course of his career, his teams have had 14 trips to the state tournament, eight conference championships, and a state title. He's won over 800 games en route to presenting on the main stage at the American Baseball Coaches Association, and he's been inducted into the Iowa High School Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. His team's mantra is humble and hungry, and I can't imagine someone living that mantra more than Coach Hoyer himself. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 71 with Brett Hoyer. All right, Brett Hoyer, thanks for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me. I've never done a podcast before, so this is the first for me. Well, that's a big deal because you've been, no offense, you've been doing this a long time and, you know, ABCA presenter and everything like that. So, wow, I'm <laughs> phenomenally honored to have you as your first podcast. Yes, well, there we go. <laughs> that's fantastic. Man, so, you know, 34 years as a high school coach, 31 at JFK, um, it, when you had uh, – kind of prepared to go into the Iowa Baseball Coaches Hall of Fame. There's an article written about you that I kind of tracked down. And it, it talks early in the article about this really interesting decision you had to make uh, as a pretty young man of uh, either do I go and deliver pizzas and coach some youth baseball or do I go to this 
probably pretty prestigious internship and possibly set up a pretty lucrative career for myself. <laughs> do you, do you feel true. looking back now, 34 years later, that you made the right call? Wow, you did some digging to find that article. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really tough decision for me, Max. I I uh, was kind of torn. Do I want to teach and coach, or was I going to per, uh, pursue uh, actuarial science uh, and go into the insurance industry um, as an actuarial, and uh, you know, go into the corporate world, so to speak, and work my way on, on up through that and go through the whole process of taking all those uh, different actuarial exams and certainly would have been a lot more financially lucrative, but, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if I would have been able to, uh, you know, have the relationships that I've been able to, to have with a lot of, with a lot of people, uh, throughout my teaching and coaching career. It's, it's been a very special, uh, very special career. And I'm, I'm very blessed, very grateful that, uh, the man upstairs guided me into, uh, teaching and coaching. Well, and, and you think of like 34 years of it and building relationships, you know, you get, you know, X amount of players every year at times 34, you get all the, the kids in the classes times 34 years, right. then you probably start getting some of their kids and yeah, you know, weddings and just like, then you factor in also like assistant coaches and all the different coaches who have probably coached with you along the way and just like you can kind of picture like a tree and just all these, this huge network of people that can uh, trace some point of their life back to an experience with you. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's been tremendous. And um, there's no matter what career you go into, there's going to be positives and negatives. Uh, The, uh, the benefits of being a career teacher coach, um, you've, you've summarized it really well. It's, it's pretty special. So, you know, other than the huge checks that you get for coaching high school baseball. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, it's it's a phenomenal thing. And, I, you know, I'm in year 10 right now and I'm just absolutely loving it and um, hope to keep doing it for a long time. But um, I want to actually go back even farther for you. So even before you started <laughs> delivering pizzas to coach youth baseball and right. um, just kind of go into your own high school experience as a player because I know you ended up coaching at your alma mater. So can you take us back to your own high school athletic experience and kind of what you did and what that was like for you? Yeah, I was, you know, I went to a Regina Catholic in Iowa city and, uh, played football, basketball, baseball, you know, at a small Catholic high school, we had like 84 people, I think in our graduating class. So we were a, a smaller high school. Um, and, uh, we, we, we played everything together. We just had some uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, we had coaches that supported, you know, multi-sport uh, athletes. We uh, and and I, what's a little bit different, we play summer high school baseball, mm-hmm. and so we would play summer <clears throat> high school games Monday through Friday, and then Saturdays and Sundays we'd play American Legion baseball, where we would combine, um, you know, the, the the better players from Regina and then the two public high schools, uh, Iowa City West and Iowa City High. We'd combine. Uh, to make one Legion team. And then we'd, we'd play on Saturdays and Sundays there. And usually our non-pitchers like myself <laughs> would have to go try and catch. And, and then we'd play teams from Illinois and uh, uh, that uh, where they were just in their Legion season because they played spring high school baseball. So in the summertime, we're seeing their best pitching and we're throwing guys like me at them. And <laughs> it wasn't always that good. But we got a lot of at-bats. We had a great time, built some great relationships with some kids from the other schools and uh, wouldn't have traded it for, for anything. So 
Yeah, so I played at Regina. Um, we had a, a little interesting situation there where we had five head coaches in five years. Mm. And uh, I just felt like if I could ever be a, be a head coach, I'd certainly try and last longer than one year <laughs> wherever I was at and try to build a little bit of stability. And I uh, feel like I've been able to do that at Kennedy. Uh, Regina, I was there for three years as the head coach. And uh, then Kennedy called and asked if I had any interest in pursuing a change to a to a big school classification and uh, teach math up there. My The guy that ended up becoming my mentor then uh, uh, ended up uh, hiring me to teach math with him in his math department after he retired from the coaching side. And that's when I took over 31 years ago. Well, I, I was really fortunate to have uh, a head coach who spanned 20-some years at the same school, so I had him for all four years. And um, oh, it is, it's yeah. really – Going from that to hearing other people's stories like you, and obviously it's just the reality of coaching, like people are going to have changed jobs throughout the course of time, but to have different head coaches every year, I just like, it's, I can't even really imagine what that's like because I mean, you know what it's like, you get different coaches, their personalities, here's how they're going to train off season stuff, different expectations, team rules. What was that like? Well, (laughs) At Regina at that time, it was they were trying to find anybody that would take the job. <laughs> but, so there yeah. was no off season of anything. Um, gotcha. was first official day of practice. Uh, all right, here we go. We, we found somebody to, to coach, and here we go. And so um, it, it was never really anybody that had any kind of a track record, anybody that had any kind of a program as far as everything from fundraising to taking care of the field to encouraging athletes in the off season to building relationships with players from one year to the next. There was, there was really none of that. And it was pretty apparent that the person that was doing it was doing it just because somebody had to do it. Did you have really like, uh, I don't know, impactful coaches in some of the other sports that you played? Like, was this a natural thing that you were going to end up as a coach because of mentors you had, or is this just something totally organic that happened to you? Um, yeah, to, to a certain extent, I um, had uh, a, a really good – I felt our football coach was fantastic, um, just the way he would tell stories. I felt our basketball coach, when it came to the technical side and explaining to the athletes why we were doing certain drills and how that would benefit us in the games, I thought that he was tremendous at that. Um, and then um, the the one year that uh, – my senior year, that the, the coaches that we had um, – encouraged me to pursue um, playing baseball at the uh, division three level. Cause I was not going to play after high school. I was just going to go to Iowa. Sorry. My pup is winding. <laughs> <your> <laughs> <gold>. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so I decided, all right, maybe I will play in college. So I took a trip up to Wartburg college and uh, met the baseball coach and liked him. And then uh, John Kurt uh, was a legendary coach at Wartburg and, uh, had him for all four years and he had a tremendous impact on me and helped influence me to um, consider going into coaching. How young were you when you ended up taking over at Virginia Catholic? Uh, let's see. I was an assistant at Sioux City Healing, then an assistant at Regina before becoming the head. So 24 years old, I believe. And you've been a head coach ever since. So you're you're at Regina Catholic for three years. You already mentioned um, you end up getting a phone call and and moving over to John F. Kennedy Senior High. What were some of the the main like 
I don't know, highlights or pulling parts that kind of led you away from Regina and led you to uh, JFK where you've, you've spent the last 31 years? Uh, the Kennedy's part of the Mississippi Valley Conference. It's a large school conference um, in eastern Iowa. There's about 48 uh, class 4A schools in the class 4A classification. So it was the largest classification. And being able to coach uh, in that uh, atmosphere, that competitive atmosphere with legendary Hall of Fame coaches already established at the uh, other schools in the conference. Uh, that was definitely the the appeal to me. I wanted to go see, hey, how do I stack up? You know, can I build a program that can compete year in, year out with those with those schools? And not that the head coach before me didn't do that, because he did do that and did that very well. He was a Hall of Fame coach in his own regard, Bill Herkelman. But I wanted to see if I could uh, if I could continue what he had done and and do it at a very high level at the uh, one of the premier conferences in, in in Iowa, and so I said, yeah. The just the longevity standpoint is kind of what stands out to me because you you know there's tons of coaches who have coached for thirty plus years, um, but to do it for that long at one school is really impressive for all sorts of different reasons. When you kind of think through. Um, all this time you've spent at JFK, what what do you attribute that longevity to, to, to stay in one place for so long and just not leave or, or step down or try to find different grass somewhere like so many people do? I don't know. Maybe I'm not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Yeah. Um, Kennedy's a ter- terrific school. We've had terrific leadership, fantastic parental support. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic, uh, ride. The kids are incredibly coachable. They've got such a, a, a tremendous desire to be good. Um, and they, 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 they just come to practice, come to workouts, ready to improve regardless of what our record is, regardless if we're having a, a you know, a 35 win year, or we're going to struggle to win 15, the, the kids don't change at Kennedy. They they really want to get better. They want to be coached, and uh, and, and it's met, it's been a lot of fun. My principal leadership has been off the charts good. There's only been uh, this this may surprise you too. Uh, we've only had three principals in the 31 years I've been. Holy cow! And that's crazy. Wow, isn't that something? I mean, that's wow. to the stability of the school. I've only had two athletic directors in 34 years. Can you imagine how many? It's insanity. Right? Two athletic. I mean, they turn over 80s like every four years or something. Oh, or less. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had two, Mark Stewart and Aaron Stecker, and they are absolutely off the charts amazing. And our three principals that we've had, same, just tremendous. And so I think when you've got that kind of leadership at the top, it just gives you unbelievable support. Because, you know, there's some parents that are going to get sideways with you. But these these people have always had my back, and it's it's been a lot of fun because uh, I think so that's probably a big part of it. Uh, year in, year out, great parental support, and then the administration support's been phenomenal. Yeah, the stability sounds ridiculous. I almost like <laughs> like movie make-believe sort of a situation. Yeah, like, yeah. that just doesn't happen. Um, I mean – just uh, it's almost unfathomable, but um, yeah, I, I want to make sure I get to this before we get into some of the more fun parts. But um, for a lot of coaches, the one of the big 
big parts of coaching that the people who haven't had coached before might not know is the fundraising portion of it. And so I got to ask while you're here, you've been, you've been doing this for a long time. What are some of the best fundraisers uh, that you've done uh, for your baseball program? Uh, The easiest and what has been one of the best has, has been, um, we call it a non-event fundraiser. Yeah. When I first started, we'd, we'd go sell and, you know, sell everything from candy to jewelry to, whatever and um finally one year we said what if we don't do anything at all and just ask people for money (laughs) (laughs) so we went to the parents and said we're going to do a non-event fundraising they said what's that we just want you to give money (laughs) donate contribute what you can think about what it is you paid um to play you know your travel team baseball growing up and uh and then from there uh, just cut us a check and we won't ask you to go sell anything. And that's been, that's been pretty good. That's usually about a $10,000 fundraiser for us. <laughs> so that'd be our best one. And then uh, we sell some windscreen advertising on our outfield fence. And that's been pretty good from, from time to time too. That's really simple. <laughs> so yeah. A much simpler answer than I thought it would be. That's fantastic. I know the the non-event fundraiser thing is becoming more and more popular. And it makes a lot of sense because you think like um, you mentioned jewelry. That's a weird one. So let's say jewelry. <laughs> let's say you're going to pay 50 bucks for some necklace or something. Right. And you as, a, you as a program get, I don't know, let's say 20 bucks from it or 10 bucks from it. Um, the person probably doesn't really want the jewelry from the first place. So just, right. Hey, why don't you just give me the 20 bucks and we'll call it good. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, uh, uh, yeah. So and you see, if you have, you know, we're, we're a pretty big school, so we have more than 50 kids that play baseball nine through 12, but yeah, if you have 50 kids and they each give 200, they spell, they they spend way more than $200 a year for their travel team baseball when they're growing up each year for, you know, their U triple S A 12 U 13 U experience. I mean, they probably spend thousand, 1200 bucks a year for that. And we just asked for a couple hundred bucks and, you know, you can do the math on that 50 times 200 and you got your 10,000 right there. One of the cool things about you, um, when we first kind of got talking about doing this episode is you sent over your uh, overall coaching record. And the first thing you said was, man, it's a lot of losses. And yeah, <laughs> looking at the record, 464 losses, right. prefaced by 817 wins. So don't don't get too crazy there. But um, the thing that sticks out to me too is there's two ties on your yeah. your record. Do you remember both of them? And what what was that about? Yeah, uh, playing when we didn't have lights, and so uh, <laughs> played uh, at Iowa City High. I can still remember it. It was my first year at uh, at Kennedy, and uh, guy hit a home run to from city I to tie it and, the, and they're ranked like second, third in the state. So it was going to, we think we can get a big upset here, bottom of the seventh and dang, they, their best player hits a two run home run and ties it. And then we can't play the eighth cause it's too dark. And so that's it. Call it tie. <laughs> and then, uh, we played, uh, oh, about three years ago, four years ago, we played up at Dubuque Hempstead and they didn't have lights either. Same deal. <laughs> tie game about the eighth inning. Sorry. We got to call it. And uh, <laughs> there was no traveling back out of town. The ADs aren't going to spend for a bus to go back down the road to play maybe one inning of, of yeah, a game and finish it. So so there's there's my two ties. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
a uh, lot of games, a lot of wins, obviously, uh, state championship. The first thing also you mentioned to me was you should have more than just one. Uh, but a lot of guys can go their whole career and, and never win one. So even even having one is a fantastic deal. Um, so take me back to 2010. What? How did the stars align? And Because and, you know how hard it is, obviously, to win a right. state championship. So much has to go right. So what was it that was so special about 2010's team? Um, we We had some crazy talented players you don't win a state championship without having some very talented players uh and then they they performed really well during the tournament um down the stretch run because throughout the regular season it was a very competitive conference we fin- we so our conference at that time has 14 teams and we have two seven team divisions in our division we finished third place in the regular season and at the state tournament were all three teams from that division qualified for the state tournament and uh, the team that finished um, in second place is the team we played for the state title uh, that year, Iowa City West. And uh, we were just we just got to to a level where we were playing really, really well. And you know how the tournament pressure is in, in a one and done environment. Mm-hmm. You just don't know how kids are going to perform, and and our kids just performed extremely well. We scored ten runs or more in all three games in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the finals. So we were just we were really hitting on all cylinders and. Uh, uh, yeah, ended up ended up winning the title that year. Would you say that's something that your program has done over the long run? Is is um, maybe offensive minded? Or I guess maybe the better question would be kind of what's your what's more of like your philosophy of coaching when you're trying to come up with how your team's going to train and do off season stuff and all that sort of deal. What's kind of the philosophy you have in terms of um, how you're going to attack just the baseball side of things? Yeah, I think uh, if you talked to a lot of people in the area, they would say that Kennedy's about pitching and defense, and that's 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 pretty accurate. We we focus more primarily on uh, pitching and defense. I think um, there, we went to the state tournament, I think four years in a row, and I think there was a stretch there uh, in all of our postseason play that uh, nobody scored more than two runs against us in like three straight years of all of our tournament games. Um, ended up getting beat two to uh, one to nothing one year, and I think two to one another year. <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, I would I would say pitching a defense is always the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We I, we've uh, played similarly in the in the past. Where a couple of years ago when we went to the state semifinals, actually two years in a row. So that's the, we've gotten to the semifinals twice oh, in the wow. time I've been at at South. And uh, you're at a big both, school there. Big school, yeah. We're in the the largest division, and yeah. we uh, both times back to back years lost in extra innings, eight innings. Uh, oh. The final score is three to two in both games. We lost on a walk off single both times. It just there's there's something really nice when you know you you're talking about scoring ten runs in some of those games before in the state championship run. There's something really comforting as a baseball coach when your team puts up ten or twelve runs versus being in just a two to one ball game or a two to two game. Well, yeah, it's funny though. The the semifinal game we were ahead. Uh, well, in in both the quarterfinal game that year and the semifinal game, we were actually behind. Oh no, really? Yeah, yeah. We didn't score any runs until I think the fifth inning. We were facing a kid who was drafted by the Phillies with a catcher who was who had uh, been offered and committed to go to Vanderbilt. Uh, they had seven D one kids on their team, and yeah, we were down. Uh, one to nothing, and then uh, scored a couple three runs in the fifth, and a few more in the sixth, and then more in the seventh, and ended up scoring ten, winning ten to one. And then the semifinal game, 
we were behind one to nothing. It was two to one going to the top of the seventh, and then we scored eight runs or Jeez. nine runs. So they weren't always uh, cakewalks. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Well, I just uh, I'm a I'm a Mariners fan. i you know Pacific Northwest in. Oh, yeah. So that at the time of recording this last night, they were down eight to one in, in the sixth inning, and it's like, geez, I so just turned the TV off, and then all of a sudden they they end up winning ten to nine. It's just like, geez, man, you know, baseball just never. It's just a it's a it's a weird sport, man. You just never know what's going to happen. How much money would you lose if you said, okay, you got the Mets? They're going to score 11 runs in two games. They're going to throw Scherzer <laughs> and DeGrom and get swept. <laughs> uh, you would lose everything you owned because I think everybody would take that bet. For sure. That's just unbelievable. And Castillo, holy cow, was he impressive. Oh, man, it's it's a really fun time to be a Mariners fan all of a sudden after 20 years. So I was, I was 12 years old in 2001, and they won 116 games. And, you know, I was 12, and I'm like, man, this is great being a Mariners fan. This, we're, this is going to be great forever. And then 21 years later, they're back in the playoffs for the first time. So it's been really interesting. <laughs> well, hey, hey, I'm a Cubs fan, Max. So. Oh, perfect. There you go. So there's hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, man. I uh, it, it, being an Iowa coach, you know, you mentioned it earlier, and I've had a, a few other coaches from Iowa, all baseball coaches, because it's just it's the place to be. Um, the and you mentioned it earlier, the summer part of it is very interesting that I, I don't know that everybody really understands. Right. Um, the high school baseball season is played during the summer. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. so we start uh, with games May seventeenth. And then school usually ends May 31st, June 2nd, 3rd, depending upon snow days that we have to make up. Uh, and then it carries into the summertime in June. And then our postseason play, the smaller schools will do their first round of postseason play uh, just before the 4th of July. And then the bigger schools will start just after the 4th of, 4th of July with our what we call sub-states. It's like a regional or a district or whatever your state would call it. And in Iowa... Every team gets in the postseason. I, I know some states you have to qualify, mm-hmm. but uh, in Iowa, every every team gets in. It's seated. Each uh, bracket is seated, and uh, home teams get to host, and they get to or the the higher seated team gets to host, and they're always the home team, and uh, and then uh, eight teams qualify for the state tournament. I'm thinking in terms of assistant coaches, and. You, you know, in in most states, obviously the majority of them, the the high school baseball season is going to be during the school year and maybe flood out a, a week or so into the summer at most, but that's it. So I'm thinking in terms of assistant coaches, I feel oftentimes really limited on who I can get to come coach for us because of just the time constraint of it's, you know, it's right. going to be four o'clock every day. And it's that's a hard schedule for a lot of people. Do you find that to be true? In Iowa, or do you see the, the the summer opportunity open the doors a little bit more for who you're able to bring in? No, actually, it's the, it makes it extremely difficult. The opposite, yeah, yeah. I thought it might, especially uh, with the lower level, like say your your freshman program, because uh, they play games uh, in the mornings. You know, a lot of schools only have one field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to have somebody that can work after school in May. Well, April and May, because we can do some things in March and April with our players after school. But then they got to be able to transition when school lets out to be available in the mornings. Oh, that's brutal. That's yeah. really challenging to find someone to do that. The, it's not quite as bad for us at the varsity level. Um, there's a lot of people that want to coach sure. uh, 
coach uh, coach baseball and typically you can find people but it does still to your point it takes a lot of time and we can play uh 40 games and so when you play 40 games a lot of double headers that, that's a huge time commitment uh, that uh, that you're asking of your staff. So it, it, it can be pretty challenging to find staff. I know ADs around the state have a really hard time finding baseball coaches that can provide stability on a year-to-year basis, uh, a, a great deal of turnover. I was telling you about the stability of our administration and um, and how tremendous that has been. But in the 31 years that I've been the baseball coach at Kennedy. And there's only been, since the school opened in 1967, there's only been three baseball coaches since (laughs) But the 31 years I've been the head coach, baseball coach, I think we've had 12 softball coaches. Holy cow. It's just such a tremendous turnover. We've got a fantastic softball coach now. She won a state championship a couple of years ago, the first one for Kennedy. Um, But, uh, and thankfully, her and her husband teach in the district. Uh, both at, they both teach at Kennedy. Her husband's the head wrestling coach, and I'm hoping they stick around a long time to provide those girls the stability that we've been able to provide in baseball because they're tremendous people, and she's a fantastic coach. What about the stability of your own staff? So, I mean, just if we just focus on like the varsity staff standpoint of it, 31 years, you know, that's a long time where people could come and go. Um, what does your assistant coaching staff look like over these last three decades or so? Yeah, it's, it's changed a little bit, but uh, I've been very fortunate to have some guys stick around for quite a while. Um, my assistant coach at Regina uh, actually came with me to Kennedy uh, when I took over for the 90, summer of 93 season. Um, and then he stayed with me through uh, the 99 season. And then, uh, his name is Dave Kriz. And uh, then after Dave, you know, was getting married, moving on with his life, he, he lived in Iowa City and the commute from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids was a big ask. And so he needed to move on with his life and had a career change and it wouldn't allow him to coach any longer. Uh, and so then I, he was replaced by a guy named uh, Jake Nauman. Uh, I, I spent a couple of years as an assistant coach at Mount Mercy because they played a spring season. Um thinking that maybe I wanted to coach at the college level and I got to meet him there. He was one of our players. He was our top pitcher. And then he agreed to coach our freshman for a couple of years. And then when coach Chris moved on with his life, coach Nauman came aboard as my assistant and he was on my staff for uh, 19 years. Uh, and then he decided to spend more time with his daughter, coaching his daughter's travel team softball. And now his daughter's a freshman at Kennedy. And so he said, can I come back on staff? So he's coming back this year. So I'm very excited to come back on staff. Um, (laughs) And then uh, some other assistant coaches have been some former players. Uh, My sophomore coach, Matt Winter, I think he's just out of this world good. He played for me, graduated in 2000, and then he uh, moved back to the area as a social studies teacher at a small school close to Cedar Rapids and – I uh, hired him as my sophomore coach, I believe, in 2006, seven, and he's been on staff ever since. And just very lucky to have him. And then my uh, top assistant is uh, Coach Divis, Ethan Divis. He played for me on my 2014 team, and uh, right away out, he knew he wanted to teach and coach. And so he coached uh, as an assistant sophomore coach right away. And then after a few years, he came on board um, as my varsity assistant for the last five years or so. I'm into my seventh year at at, at the school, and uh, I've so we're starting to get to the point where quite a few former players who have finished playing like college baseball are starting to come back and coach. 
And it has been absolutely awesome because you get guys who have been through it. Um, they're young. They can throw BP and stuff. So that's always right. good. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And they, they kind of know the systems a little bit. They know me. Um, it's been it's been phenomenal. And so I'm really looking forward to getting to kind of that point where, you know, getting quite a few of them back who are really committed to the program and, and building it. And uh, I don't know. I think they make really good assistant coaches when they do it the right way. Oh, absolutely. And that's probably the biggest contributor to the success that uh, the Kennedy baseball program has had is the former players. Uh, my pitching coach, David Yancey, was on our 2010 state championship team. Uh, our infielders coach, uh, Coach Ben Sass, he was with Ethan on our 2014 uh, conference championship and state tournament team. Uh, so, yeah, they know exactly what's expected. They know the terminology. Uh the players uh, respect them immediately because they, a lot of them, when they were growing up, they, they saw them play. Um, so yeah, that, that's huge. Matt Winter played for me, uh, my sophomore coach, uh, his assistant, Graham Woods, uh, he played for me. Um, and then uh, for the longest time, my freshman, my top freshman coach, Connor Bartosh, he was our DH on our state championship team. And he coached our freshman for like nine years uh, before they had a baby and he had to take a break from it, but he was absolutely out of this world good. So, yeah, when you get the chance to hire former players, take them. They're yeah. just tremendous, just tremendous. Can't say enough good things. Eventually, when you coach as long as I've coached, there's sometimes some cases where um, things just don't work out very mm -hmm. well with, with a particular hire. Uh, I've had a couple cases like that, and they were both non-former Kennedy players. You know, they sure. just didn't quite understand the expectation that uh, – uh, that, that Kennedy baseball uh, requires and uh, just had to go our separate ways uh, with a couple, but uh, never with a former player has there ever been any issues whatsoever. When you've had to have those conversations mm -hmm. with some coaches, um, how do you, this is kind of a weird question to ask, but how, I've never had to do it. How do you kind of approach that conversation? Well, it depends on the situation. Some are different than others. I mean, that, unfortunately there's, there's, there's some that just, blatant um hmm. uh, you, you know and you got to call it call in the athletic director and got to sit down and just say okay this this isn't going to work anymore uh and another case it's just hey you know how do you think things are going um i i don't see it the way you see it uh, i think it's it's time for us to go a different direction and uh, uh i'm going to make a change here I, I need to do this for the for the betterment of the program um our philosophies aren't aligning here um and, and, and typically it's an expectation is laid out, not following through, talk to them about it. Hey, this is the expectation. I, I got to have you do this. It's part of the bigger picture here. And they don't follow through again. And, and it's, it was in, in both cases, there were uh, second and third chances provided and they weren't being, the expectations wasn't being met. And so that we had to move to a different direction with, uh, with those two cases, unfortunately. Yeah, but I mean, it's, you have to do what's like you said, what's best for the program, what's best for the players, the team, all that sort of stuff. And obviously being there for a while, you have the, I don't know, the pedigree to to understand what's best for the program. And I think people would probably follow that and understand that. Um, let's turn a little bit to the the player side of things and what the player experience is like. Um, so if I'm a, I'm a freshman coming into 
the high school. When do I first meet you? Is there a meeting you know, early in the year, you know, knowing that, of course, the baseball season's so late in the year? What's it like for me? Kind of take me through. Uh, I show up on campus as a freshman on the first day. Well, first of all, we uh, in Iowa, you can have eighth graders play high school baseball. Dude, let's go back even farther then. <laughs> so we will have, uh, so most of the kids I know anyway, from working with them in camps and clinics and so on from when they're, they're young. So they've, they've met me, they've seen me, uh, they've been to games, they've seen me coaching, but then they see me work. I work with them, you know, from time to time, at a, whether it be a winter clinic or a summer camp, whatever. So they've seen me before. And then as eighth graders, <clears throat> we have a, you know, eighth graders can try out to be promoted to the freshman team. And we don't take every eighth grader that tries out, but if there's a few talented eighth graders that can uh, fill in on the ninth grade team to, to help us, or maybe even be promoted to the sophomore team, if they're really talented, um, we'll, we'll ask them to, to play up. Uh, and we identify them at our, uh, we have like a winter camp uh, that the eighth graders will participate in. And then we have an actual couple tryout days where a kid doesn't have to go to the uh, winter camp. They can just come to the two tryout days if they want, uh, and then we'll evaluate them and bring them on board. So they're they're indoctrinated there. And then as uh, a ninth grader that's not part of that as an eighth grader, then, uh, yeah, there will be, uh, you know, announcements on the school uh, intercom system and in our announcement program where we invite them to come meet me and sign up. And then they just come in throughout the academic day and say, hey, Coach Hoyer, I'm so-and-so, I'm Max Price, and I, I'm, I'm interested in playing baseball. I say, all right, Max, great, here we go. We'll get you signed up. Please give me your parents' email address, and I'll reach out to them, and, and we'll welcome them into the Kennedy baseball family. As far as, like, rules or standards or expectations go, what types of things do your players get? Is there a list of here's what it's like to be a baseball player here and the expectations? Like how is that sort of stuff communicated or is it? Yeah, a lot of that's just that the players tell each other. <laughs> there's, there's, what's expected. there's By this time, there's enough people that they know uh, what's expected at Kennedy. You know, you're, uh, our biggest thing is, hey, as long as as long as you're humble and hungry, we're going to get along just fine. Uh, if you're on time, treat others the way you'd like to be treated and be clean cut, and we're going to be fine. Uh, game days are special. We're going to shave on game days. Uh, we're going to we're going to have our hair cut the way we like to pitch, high and tight. You know, you're going to have it high and tight above the ears and off the back. It's going to be off the collar in the back, and um, and and away we go. And it's been that way for 31 years, so that's kind of the expectation, and uh, the kids know. And all I got to do is I, I see him say, hey, you're looking a little shaggy there. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm on the coach. <laughs> okay. Got it. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Have you made any changes to rules or expectations or standards, anything over the course of your career where you maybe were doing it one way and something came along and you changed it? I think uh, the how to changes, you know, mm. with just all the different research and all the different uh, knowledge that's been shared with me that I'm constantly learning. My assistants are constantly learning the, the how to changes all the time, but there's certain things that aren't going to change. You know, we're going to respect our teammates. We're going to respect umpires. Um, we're going to be on time. Uh, we're going to hustle. Um, there's just so, some things that are just going to, going to be every year it's expected. You're going to be humble. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be coachable. Um, and, and if not, you know, you're, if, well then, 
you might not find your name on the travel roster because we'll have travel rosters mm-hmm. or dress lists. You know, we might have 25 kids uh, come out for varsity baseball, but we may only dress 20 of them because, hey, you know what, you five, you, you haven't uh, met the, the standard that Kennedy baseball is and, until you start exhibiting uh, behavior that reflects the standards of Kennedy baseball. Uh, we're, we're not going to dress you. I mean, you know, so, um, and that's been very powerful. That's, that's, that's been uh, uh, really good for, for our kids to understand that, Hey, <laughs> if I'm not behaving, <laughs> if I'm not a, a good teammate, then I don't get to dress. <laughs> so it, it became a pretty powerful uh, thing that we, that was one thing that maybe we, probably changed a little bit. We instituted that probably about 15 years ago um, where uh, we said, all right, got some guys that don't quite understand uh, what Kennedy baseball is all about and the expectation of our behavior and how we prepare um, and how we show up at games. And so uh, until they understand what it means to be a good teammate, um, they're going to have to uh, 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 watch the game from the stands if they come or stay at home. What do you do with the the other guys to keep them engaged? So you, you, you say you're dressing 20 tonight. Obviously, nine can play, 10 if you're going to DH. So that's half the roster that's there who's not actively playing in the game. Uh, that can get fishy, if or not fishy, or dicey maybe is the right word, right? How do you keep those 10 guys engaged? What types of things are they doing throughout the game to um, maybe not get lost? Right. We try to we try to find a role for as many of them as possible, whether it be a pinch running role, a, a courtesy running role, a defensive late defensive replacement, a relief potential relief role, bullpen catcher role, a warm up the, the pitcher in between innings when the catcher happens to be running bases because we don't want a courtesy run for him because he's such a good base runner, that sort of thing. And then just really emphasize, drive home the importance of being a good teammate, the importance of every single pitch is critical. You got to be dialed in. If you're out there to, to courtesy run, it's huge. It's incredibly important. And then fortunately over the course of time that you'll get to benefit from, you have stories, you know, you have stories about a player who the only thing he did was courtesy run occasionally. And we're in a sub state final and it's, it's a one run game. And we had on our scouting report uh, something that uh, a certain pitcher did. And if we got that situation, you got to be ready to go. And he was, and he did. He got himself in scoring position. Sure enough, next guy gets a base hit and he's able to score from second. And now it's a two-run lead going to the top of the seventh, which is huge versus the one-run lead. And they hear the story of David Pauls. We just tell stories like that. And that helps to get the guys dialed in to, to work really hard to try and find a role in some way, shape, or form, that that maybe they could be uh, the player that does something like that someday. I have <laughs> you saying that brought up an opposite memory for me of one of the <laughs> I mentioned the state semifinals games earlier, and we uh, we we courtesy ran for a guy in the uh, I think it was the sixth inning. We were down two to one, and uh, he gets picked off on the very first. I mean, gets on base and immediately gets picked off. Next right. pitch, we hit a home run. <laughs> it would have been a, would have taken the league like, oh man so um maybe not as powerful but uh an opposite story right for sure yeah well we've got some of those too <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh they they do happen from time mm-hmm. to time um yeah so getting into um 
maybe practice type stuff. Wouldn't you, if I were to go and like ask 10 of your guys who have played with you recently and uh, I say, Hey, what's, what's something you guys do in practice that, that you really like? What do you think some of the players would probably say? I think they would probably say, A, they like uh, that it's structured, organized, and competitive. It's one thing that my uh, former players and my assistants are big on. Let's make sure it's competitive. Let's compete every day. So we figure out ways to compete, you know, divide up into two teams, three teams, four teams, whatever it might be, and and have some part of practice where these they're all competing against each other and we have like a, you know, a Gatorade or something uh, at the end of the practice session. Um, So very structured, very organized. They practice plans are posted ahead of time. Uh, that's very motivating for kids to know that their coaching staff is organized mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, on a clock. Um, they know when we're going to start. They know when we're going to end. Um, and they know there's going to be some sort of com- competitive uh, game, so to speak, uh, at virtually every practice. And, that, and I think that becomes a lot of fun for them. Within the practice, how do you structure it? Is it um, is it kind of structured the same way each time where the competitive piece is going to be at a certain time in practice or do you rotate that around? Does it change? Yeah, it'll change from time to time. It, it, a lot of it depends on the time of year and, and what the particular practice session is like. Is it a pre-seat, you know, like a May before the game start practice? You know, those practices are lengthier. There's just a lot of stuff to install and so on. Plus you want to evaluate and that, that takes time. Uh, and then once the game start, uh, they, they typically shorten up a little bit. And of course on game day, we'll, in the summertime when school lets out, we'll come up to school in the morning and practice, uh, for a short period of time, maybe 75 minutes, and then they'll go home and then come back and, and then we'll play a doubleheader. Uh, or it might be a weightlifting day. Uh, they'll come up and they'll, they'll lift with our strength and conditioning coach and then, uh, go outside for a brief practice and then go home and then come back for for a game at night, but, uh, we'll, we'll try and make it, even if it's just a, you know, 45 minute BP session, you know, maybe we'll have a 90 mile an hour challenge deal where we'll set the machine up at 90 and, uh, and then we'll put a radar gun to get exit velo on them and give them different points uh, off that. Or we'll, uh, just have it set up on say sloppy breaking balls, again, radar gun to get exit velo and give them certain points for different categories based on how hard they hit it. And then they'll, uh, we may have a player of the day uh, and give them a little free ice cream card that the uh, little ice cream shop down the street will uh, give us to award, or it might be uh, you know, a team deal or go to the concession and get, get a Gatorade, something like that. Or, and, and the other big thing is when we have teams compete, the losing team, then they have to put everything away and the winning team gets to sit underneath a shade tree, drink their Gatorade and watch the other guys put everything away. And then they like to tease each other. That's, That's good motivation. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> likes to put the stuff away. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's kind of where we are. I, so last year was weird for us. Um, we had a, a somewhat younger team, but the we, we talked about as a coaching staff after the year of like, man, what what went well, what didn't? And, and the big thing we kind of all walked away with was we need to find a way to make off-season training and then specifically and especially our practices in-season more competitive because there were so many games where we felt like, the guys just—it's like they didn't know how to compete or had never been unleashed to compete. It was just kind of a weird feeling from it, and so that's one of the areas that I'm personally trying to make sure we're a lot better at—is building in those just simple daily competitions, whatever they might be, to help kids just always have to compete. Because I think we really missed that last year. Yeah, one thing we started doing several years ago that 
has been really popular with the kids is uh, I stole an idea from a coach out East. I can't remember his name right now. It escapes me, but we call it breakfast league. Hmm. And the premise on it is uh, we take our team, 16, 20, 24 guys or whatever, and we divide up into four teams. And so we will do a little evaluation where we'll tell the kids, all right, uh, you've all done fantasy football. Go ahead, do your fantasy baseball draft board with your baseball players with the Kennedy varsity roster. Okay. So they'll, they'll rate each player, how they would put their draft board up. And then we take that data and we take the top four place winners and they become captains of their own breakfast league. And then we do a little draft and they draft their breakfast league teams. And then when we do our, uh, when, when it's a practice day where we have a competitive game uh, with those four teams competing against each other, whether it be base running or whether it be hitting, it's typically hitting or it's uh, a, a, we have a little scrimmage drill we call nine outs, something like that. We keep score, we keep points. And then at the end of the day, whoever had the most points, they get four points in their league. Whoever had the second most runs, for example, they get three points on down to two and one. And then we keep r- track of their records, their stand, the standings throughout the whole summer. And uh, occasionally on a, on a given Friday, uh, whoever has the most points, uh, the other team, the other members of the other team have to buy them, buy them breakfast. And it's like, a, <laughs> I'll go to Burger King and get them like a sausage sandwich or whatever. Sure. And so everybody's got to bring like two bucks. And so they, they all got to kick in two bucks and feed the winning team. Uh, and then at the end of the year, you have a breakfast league champion. And then I have a plaque that I post in the dugout and it's got all the names of all the players that were breakfast league champions. And so they'll be able to see, oh yeah, I remember in 2015, I remember him. And there's his name, you know, with his breakfast league teammates on the, on the wall in there. And so they, they always get to look at that, that, Hey, someday that'll be us. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll have my name on that plaque in, in the dugout for everybody to see. So it, sometimes the parents have told me kids talk more about breakfast league than they talk about the game. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of trash talk. There goes a trash yeah. talk. There's my former players that are my assistants, they pitch against them and they try and strike them out and it gets competitive and they, they go back and forth. Former players talk smack to the kids. Kids talk smack back to them. When they're on defense, they get mad at the f- assistant coach who doesn't throw well enough because the other team's scoring mm-hmm. points. Sure. It, it becomes a lot of fun. Yeah. I think that environment probably helps a lot, but the, the other thing I was thinking of was like, yeah, I bet they do talk a lot about that thing. And I bet it becomes a big part of the program, but I think that's ultimately a really healthy thing because it's centered around this. Exactly what we're talking about is trying to help kids become competitors in like everything that they do. It's, it's different when you just walk on the field and it's like, all right, you know, it's, we got a game today. Let's try to compete. Whereas if you're constantly doing it all the time, like it just gets kind of like bred into you. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you, you put them into different situations, you know, we'll, uh, uh, we'll put a runner on first base and we'll tell the hitters, all you can do is bunt and mm. you know, we get, you yeah. get, and you get four outs. So, so that particular thing's four outs to see what you can do. And if the defense cheats, we tell them, if you ever see two infielders with their feet on the grass, you can pull back and swing. <laughs> defense can't cheat. And so we'll do that for a four out session. Then we'll do a, a, a two out session. We'll say, okay, we're going to put runners on second and third one out. And uh, you get two outs to try and score a run. Uh, and again, my assistant coaches are pitching. They're trying to strike them out. 
or we'll use a pitching machine if we don't have guys that can pitch. We'll just put the pitching machine on. What do we want? Right-hand curveball, left-handed curveball. We do have one of those jugs, fastball change-up machines. We'll do a mm-hmm. fastball change-up circuit, or we'll just feed them, right? Hey, it's a it's a 2-0 count, 3-1 three, three, count. Three, typically, if we get, get guys on second and third and we have a hitter up there, a 3-0, we usually let them swing away. That's just something we typically do. And we'll say, all right, hey, you can't miss the cookies. You get one shot. Let's go. Let's drill it. And, you know, if they don't score, the other three teams get two points. Mm, Whatever like you do score, all right, you get as many runs as you can score with your two outs to play with. So you, you just do sip, sip certain things like that, and it, it gets pretty competitive. Dumb base running, you know, somebody gets doubled off, the other teams get four points. You know, so it's different. You, you create different ways to make it competitive and to get them to dial in. And now even to your point, you were talking about you got a 20-man roster, 10 guys are playing. Yes. Yes. Aren't really playing. At least those other 10 guys know practice is fun because we get to compete mm-hmm. in breakfast league today. And my teammates on my little breakfast league team, they're counting on me to perform today. And so it, 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 it helps. I think it really helps. It reminds me, and I can't, it's the same thing. I can't remember who was talking about it. It might've been a coach in Iowa too, but, um, they kind of stole it from the, the Navy seal training where you, you have your like boat groups, and you compete right. with that group through all these different trainings and stuff. And so like within, within this old, you know, bigger team concept, you have your smaller group that competes with everything. And yeah, it just creates this awesome level of competition. Also, the, <laughs> you, you mentioned the jugs machine. We have the same one, the fastball changeup one. Yeah. I don't know a pitching machine set up with the circuit set to fastball changeup that uh, kids have ever hated more. Like our guys would rather face it throwing 90, you know, like right. 92 fastballs than have yeah. to face the, the change up part of it. Yes. It's, it's tough. That is really tough on them. And it's, it's fantastic to get them to compete. And we'll do some stuff that uh, we call it Stony Brook, Stony Brook, two strike, no stride. We stole that from the Stony Brook university. Mm-hmm. Remember they went down and beat LSU at the super regional and went to the world series. And then their head coach spoke at the ABCA and, he shared with him how they go ahead and go through their hitting program. And with two strikes, they widen out, they go no stride, and they do everything they can to put the ball in play. And so we'll we'll put the machine at a real challenging situation with like the real, you know, 90 mile hour fastball with changeups off it. And hey, you gotta hit the ball fair. Or we will um, put two machines side by side. You gotta be careful with your screens on this next one. We'll have yeah. one being curveballs and one being fastballs. And hey, you got to put, you got to hit the ball fair. And if you don't hit the ball fair, you're out. And so, or, or you know, follow it off. Can't swing and miss and just make it really super competitive and force them to try to get the ball in play. And so it's, 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 you can do different things to make things more competitive. Now, obviously, you need some resources there too that, that will help you. Sometimes we'll just have a former assistant coach pitch and try and strike them out with two strikes also and do some two strike hitting that way. But, but yeah, we're big on the, uh, Two strike, no stride, uh, Stony Brook hitting the kids have come to call over the last ten years. So just I think it's, it's, it's really it's really important. I mean, in high school baseball, when you get to two strikes, if you can, like you said, if you can put the ball in play, like good things can happen because it's other high school players on the other side of it. There's grass and fields and dirt, and <laughs> balls can move and change and drop, and who knows what happens. So the importance of getting a ball in play when you get to two strikes in high school baseball is like, it can't be overstated. Yeah, uh, exactly. Cause you look at fielding percentage, uh, the D one uh, baseball 
and Major League Baseball, the fielding percentage uh, isn't average fielding percentage really isn't all that far apart, but the high school fielding percentage mm-hmm. to it's huge. The difference. And I, I, I mean, if, <laughs> you could be talking 10 percentage points there. So absolutely ball's got to be put in play. When you kind of finish each summer season, um, it's kind of interesting, you know, cause you've got seniors, right? I mean, you're so kids right. graduated, you know, a month prior to that or so, um, what types of stuff do you do at the end of the season in terms of like celebrations and in, in terms of like maybe team awards or senior stuff? Like what, what kind of things can kids expect when their high school baseball season ends in the summer? Yeah, we have a, you know, everybody has, I'm sure everybody has an end of the year banquet. We do, mm-hmm. our parents do a great job putting together a banquet and uh, we recognize our seniors there. Um, in addition to just the, you know, the, letter winners, certificates, that sort of thing. But also uh, our parent group started several years ago. Oh, God, it's probably been about 25 years ago. They started uh, <laughs> making these uh, comm- commemorative bats with their name on it. A lot of times their image on it with their number. And uh, then I, I call them up and pass them out to them. And uh, it, it's a it's a pretty neat award that they get. So that's what we do for our seniors. Looking at you personally, um, obviously the Iowa High School Baseball Coaches Association um, Hall of Fame induction. Uh, what did that mean to you? Well, it was very humbling. Um, so many people are in that Hall of Fame that I always looked up to, looked at to as mentors, uh, had tremendous influence on my players indirectly because they taught me how to teach my players and how to work with my players. Uh, and then in, your peers are the ones that, well, not my necessarily my peers, but the people that I looked up to, mm-hmm. they were the ones that were voting to uh, uh, include me in, into that, um, you know, into that fraternity. And that was very, very special. You also had an opportunity to do something really cool. And for those, anyone listening and who's not a baseball coach, maybe they don't understand the how awesome this is, but uh, the American Baseball Coaches Association every year, puts on this absolutely giant national convention that just you can't even explain how many people are at these things. It's just, it's hard to fathom. Um, and you ended up being a, a main stage presenter um, a handful of years ago. Uh, how did that kind of come along and, and what was that experience like for you? It was crazy. <laughs> I was shaking <laughs> in my boots. Um, I bet. Very humbling. Um, was trying to do the best I could to represent Iowa high school baseball coaches because there's so many coaches in the state that coach circles around me. And I was just trying to represent them the best I could. Um, I spoke, um, uh, right before Augie. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, it got pretty crowded towards the end of my speech. Not at the beginning. <laughs> people start rolling in finally. <laughs> rolling in. Holy cow. Look at all these people showing up. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was it was pretty crazy. Um, so I, I was just very appreciative. Um, Stu Fritz is uh, a teammate of mine uh, at, at Warburg, and he was uh, in the ABCA uh, leadership, and he was um, finding speakers and felt like I might have something uh, worthwhile to talk about. And so so I did. And uh, from what I hear, it was very well received and um, just very grateful for the opportunity and and, and hopeful that I represented the Iowa high school coach as well. 
I think it's really awesome. And, you know, you mentioned Augie Garrido, you know, one of the, if not the most uh, probably celebrated college coach ever, certainly, uh, certainly among them. So to, to get to be on the same stage that he presents on and get it warmed up for him, I'm sure he did a fantastic (laughs) job (laughs) getting the audience ready, kind of like the opening act for the stand up uh, comedian headliner sort of a thing. Right. Exactly. (laughs) It was, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very nervous. I bet, man. Did you did you go? Uh, you know, because a lot of times guys will wear normal clothes. They'll wear their their uniform. What'd you go with? Well, we were told, or at least I was told, I was to wear my uniform. So I that's right. I wore, I wore the Canada uniform. Nice, good for you. So, well, you kind of look back. You know, you've been you've been doing this for a little while, um, and you've had an opportunity to see all sorts of, of amazing things and and do some pretty incredible things. Um, and you kind of take a step back and look at just high school sports as a, as a whole. Um, if you were to try to encapsulate the, I don't know, what's the kind of the ultimate goal of high school sports? What would you kind of say? I think we want to give them positive lifelong memories. They're going to have lifelong memories regardless. Now, I think it's up to us to do everything we can to give them an opportunity to have a positive experience. Uh, we can't guarantee them that they're going to have a positive experience. They, they've got to bring something to the equation too. But I think it's our job to create an environment uh, to do all we can to improve our facilities, to give them opportunity to have a tremendous experience, understand what it means to be a teammate. Um, for us, it's understand what it means to wear a uniform. Um, for us, it's, you know, understand the benefits of being humble and hungry and being a great teammate and, and, and all those things with dealing with adversity and dealing with, uh, your successes and failures. You know, the, you know, one, one thing Augie talked about, uh, when he talked that day, he, he said, you know, baseball is, some people say baseball is a game of failure. I don't, I don't agree with that. He says, baseball is a game of opportunity. And uh, I thought that was a tremendous spin uh, on that common saying and uh, just teaching kids that, hey, you got to learn how to move on to the next pitch, no matter what's happening, whether you, you just went yard or you, you struck out yesterday three times. Your teammates need you to move on to the next pitch and focus on what's important now. Uh, we, we talk a lot about moving on to the next pitch. We talk a lot about present moment focus and then how that carries over into life and how to build concentration skills. Uh, because there's going to be all sorts of distractions, all sorts of bats in the belfry that can really get you sidetracked if you don't really learn how to focus on something concrete. And that goes for all your other sports, goes for your classes, goes for life, everything. Can't think of a better way to kind of close this thing out. So, uh, Coach Hoyer, I, I really appreciate you doing this. I'm honored that this is the first podcast you've ever done uh, <laughs> yes, for yes. For so long and for such a decorated person and especially someone with as many losses as you to even be invited on a podcast is a miracle. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything, um, anything left. If, you, if there's a, a shout out you want to have or just uh, anything you thought we might get to that maybe we didn't. But um, just want to give you the mic one last time. Uh, just, you know, thanks to the to Kennedy High School for giving me this opportunity to teach and coach and hopefully impact a whole bunch of people's lives. Uh, Greg Reed brought me to, to Kennedy and helped guide me, Bill Herkelman, uh, my mentor there. And then uh, right on down the line to Mark Stewart, Mary Wazinski, Aaron Stecker, and now Jason Kleiner, principal there. They've just been tremendous supporters and uh, 
just very grateful, very blessed. And again, thanks to the man upstairs for guiding me into the teaching and coaching profession. You know, for most people, if they were going to list off all the principles they had in 34 years, it would take the rest of the podcast to do. <laughs> what a what an amazing just uh, tribute to the stability that you've had there and and that you personally have had there as well. And like I said, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. So, Brett Hoyer, thank you and uh, wish you all the best luck as you head into year number 34. Yeah, thanks, Max. Good luck to Brett as he enters his 34th year as a head coach. To anyone who's listening who might be considering making a change to new coaching position, check for stability. And if you find a school with stability even half or a third or a quarter as impressive as Kennedy High, I think you'd be pretty wise to dive in. Uh, if you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers, via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. Doesn't matter how you do it, just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Hoyer for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.